It isn't all that common, but it isn't unheard of that someone will come to the rectory with the thought that they or somebody they know or some place is in need of an exorcism. But that wasn't what you're expecting to hear on an Advent homily. Interestingly enough, it's sometimes non-Catholics that knock on our door. And long, long before we get to any discussion of an exorcism, which most people don't need, they are asked uh, these questions. They include, are you getting to Mass? Have you made a good, thorough, and honest confession? Do you pray every day? Do you practice your faith in the world? Do you take charity out to other people? And so one time there was a phone call and I went out to the house and I will admit it was a creepy looking house. And I went inside and there was just something about it that you didn't like. It didn't smell right, it didn't look right. And they told me of some of the things that were going on in that house. And so I said, all right, well, let's start with these questions. Do you get to mass? Well, you don't really get out all that often. I said, how about a confession? You been to confession recently? Well, no, no. So what's your prayer life like? Oh, we watch Touched by an Angel. We count that as prayer. Basically what they're saying is, I don't want anything in my life to change. I just want God to take away this one piece that I don't like and then leave us alone. We'll go our separate ways. So think of it this way. I was living with a severe diabetic for a while and his diet was atrocious. His diet would be bad even if you were a completely healthy person otherwise. And I once asked him about this particular thing that he was eating. I said, should you be eating that? And after I was told my to mind my own business, he said, I'll be just fine. I'll take more medication. How long do you think that would stave off a deeper illness? Unless there was a dietary change, eventually the cure of the medication was gonna do little good. And it's the same with the couple that wanted the exorcism. We could do all kinds of fancy prayers and throw holy water all over the place, but if they were not intending to become healthier spiritually, it wouldn't do much good. They would have been just as open to spiritual danger as they were before. It requires a change of heart, a renewal of the spirit, a spiritual change of diet as it were. Or I'm just giving them a weak band-aid instead of a cure and leaving them open to worse things. So John the Baptist, whose statue's in that back corner over there, is baptizing people in preparation for the Messiah. It was a, a, a mission of sins, right? And we're going to change. And he sees some people coming towards him looking for baptism, but for all the wrong reasons. They have no intention of changing their lives. They're there because it's either the thing to do or an insurance policy just in case this thing is legit. And John's like, no, you brood of vipers. This isn't a magic trick or the thing to do or a social experiment. And this is definitely not something just to play at. It's more like this. It's not something that happens to you. Something is expected of you. This is like a marriage. It's entering into a relationship. And that something that's expected of you is pretty radical. 
There are signs in advertising campaigns for lots of different churches and they say things like, God loves you just as you are here. Come here, God's gonna love you just as you are. And that's true for as far as it goes, but it's pretty anemic if it's left at that. It's a terrible thing to say to a person, God loves you, just stay the way you are. If that person is depressed or immature or psychologically scarred by something, addicted, embracing sin, mean, angry, selfish, destructive, a holder of grudges and hurts, a person who assumes poor motives and ill intents of others, or just not leaving up, living up their potential. Who does live up their potential? I don't live up to my fullest potential. Does God love you just as you are when you come to him? Yes, absolutely. Does he love you in a way that he doesn't want to change a thing ever? Absolutely not. Our faith would be silly and insipid if this were the case. We are called to conversion and growth, and radically so. And the good news in all of this is, is that God sees an incredible amount of potential in you, in all of us, everyone. He knows that each of us are better than we can be, no matter how far we have come. With him, you can reach higher. He didn't just plant the ability to combat what weaknesses are within you, but the possibility and the ability to become a saint. And he wants to work with you on that. Psychologists say that if our negative interactions with a person outnumber the positive ones, the relationship is doomed. I bet you could have come up with that on your own. No big shock there. The interesting thing is that the exact opposite is not true for the, a healthy, normal person. A relationship in which there is nothing but positive interactions is also doomed. There must be just that right level of challenge that we need to keep us growing. Yesterday, Deacon Terry in the homily that he gave uh, to his wife, Susie, he says, anything you like about me, thank her. She challenged me to the very end to be a better man. And God is that good father who loves us, but keeps challenging us to strive to our exalted status as his sons and daughters. That's love. There's this series on Netflix that I would recommend. It's called Living With Yourself. Living With Yourself. In it, and I'm trying not to give away too much of the plot, a man meets an almost exact copy of himself. The only difference between him and this other person is that this other person is just a tad nicer, minusculely kinder to his wife, slightly more thoughtful to his co-workers, and everyone, because of it, likes being around him more than they like being around the original guy. And it isn't a huge difference, it's just a little bit. And you watch the original version, like interacting with his wife, and you go, you know what to do. It'll only take one word, a look, a gesture, and you could be a whole new person, and you're kind of cheering him on, and he doesn't do it, and you're like, ah, come on. This is what Advent is calling us to do, to do something achievable. You don't have to be the perfect saint tomorrow. Do something sustainable. And if you don't, if you fall off the horse, 
fine. Get back on the horse later and ride again. And then over a long period of time, this little thing that you're doing is just going to become part of you. And then when it is part of you, think of that next little thing that you can do. There's that proverb that says, when's the best time to plant a tree? And the answer is 10 years ago, right? When would be the best time to start this path toward holiness? Could you imagine where you would be today if you started seriously with just little implements 10 years ago? So start the gift for the you 10 years from now. Start the path to holiness. Remembering that holiness is not achievement, but untiring striving to never cease the effort to grow and accept the challenges of striving to be all that your Father calls you to be.